Today's special can edition of the Digiday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Vivo, the leading provider of premium music videos. I'm sure you know Vivo. Did you know that content has never been more important and powerful to audiences and brands alike? As a modern-day content network, Vivo is home to the most coveted premium music video catalog starring the world's biggest celebrities and pop culture icons from the last 50 years. The cultural continuum of music videos spans generation, is perpetually relevant, and continues to evolve with audiences. With 924 million monthly global viewers, Vivo is unique in its ability to provide brands unparalleled scale against hard-to-reach audiences within a, yes, brand-safe environment. This is an issue that is coming up quite a bit in Cannes this year. Visit vivo.com slash advertising to learn more. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast Can Edition. This is Brian Morrissey. We are coming to you from the Riviera for the final time. Um, it has been a wonderful series of uh, discussions. And to cap it off, I have Sebastian Tomich. He is the head of advertising at the New York Times. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yes, late in the week too, Sebastian. Which so, means we're uh, both very fresh. I hope you're. I hope you're sharp. The big question, obviously, is around uh, the New York Times uh, business model. The last time, I think it was in Cantu. Two summers ago, last had, year, last year, okay. last year, it felt like that. I believe you roughed me up a little bit. Uh, I think I was talking about how your ad business wasn't growing. Correct. But now it's, it's growing. growing. What happened? Well, <laughs> key assumption being I didn't know it was already growing. The uh, well, I think when we talked, it was in June, and uh, we were fresh off um, two quarters that were down in digital advertising. And then because we're a publicly traded company, I can't ever okay. allude okay, to okay. our... But the, the main point is it wasn't growing. I mean, you guys shifted to subscriptions as being the sort of organizing principle. doesn't mean that ads are not important, but, you know, it's a, it's a subscription first strategy. Is that well, fair It to is say? a subscription first strategy, but our belief is that they go hand in hand. Um, but I've made the comment to you that the business is lumpy. So just because of the shape of the business and the things we sell, it's really hard to track us quarter to quarter. You really have to look at us at the annual level. And obviously, I couldn't tell you then when when you were roughing me up. Because someone from New York Times Compliance is is listening to this podcast. Exactly. exactly. Appreciate Um, the download. But we had our uh, first growth year overall in advertising since uh, 2005. Why? Well, I think the subscription for strategy pays off. Um, I think brands are recognizing that you have to have an audience first approach and publishers who have in the past kind of tripled down on what I would just call ad first strategies, more ads on more pages, let's say downgrading user experience in favor of making more money in the end doesn't deliver more value. And brands want to work with other great brands and they want to work with brands that are current in culture. And because of the fact that we put a lot of our emphasis on investing in our product, investing in our journalism and investing in the brand, which is what you're seeing here, Mm -hmm. uh, it's paid off. I mean, more marketers want to work with us. Okay. So advertisers pay more to advertise in the New York Times because people like me pay you in order to read the New York Times. I think it's, there's an argument that over the last, let's call it the rise of digital media, we kind of lost track of what people care about. 
we were talking about huge numbers, 150 million uniques, 200 million uniques. They were kind of irrational. You know, most 4 billion video views. 4 billion video, video views. It, none of it really made any sense. And, you know, I think you know, if from what I'm seeing, if this plays out correctly, and you have a lot of publishers now focusing on their subscription businesses, you could see it almost, almost be like a TV ratings model. Mm-hmm. Where the number of subscribers becomes the kind of marker for you know your your uh, you know relevance in the world and how much people want to work with you. So the raw number, yeah, the raw numbers. So but come on, you can discount if you give it away for a dollar. It's not the same as. But do they paying. come back after a year? I don't know. I mean, like, look, everyone's going to have uh, trial subscribers, but um, you're saying overall, it is good for the ad business to have a subscription model. Absolutely. And I think, I think, I think overall a subscription model, look, there's trade-offs and we've talked about this before, mm. uh, broad reach, more ads on more pages that gets hurt. And we have to make sacrifices sometimes. Are you using the subscription data at all for, for targeting? We are not. We are absolutely looking at our subscribers and what they do on our site, but we're not doing anything like looking at their credit card information <laughs> or where they're registering from. It's probably a good uh, idea. So, we, I, so these days, I, th- but, but I think I think it's it's overall, no matter who the publisher is, focusing on the brand, focusing on who is paying paying for you is a much better metric than looking at how much traffic you got from Facebook or how many hundreds of millions of uniques you've got. Okay. You guys are also here as a marketer, right? I mean, you're talking about um, the truth campaign yep. um, and uh, it, look. At the same time, uh, Arthur Salzberger actually has an op-ed, which I'm told is very rare uh, that the publisher writes an op-ed. In about, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, about about Trump uh, calling you, know, you guys treasonous or, or some sort of label like that. Is this Does this make the ad business more difficult? You know, because like whether you are or not, it, the president of the United States is setting up the New York Times as oppositional to what 40 Forty-two percent of the country supports. I mean, it's a challenging question. Um, if you look at our advertiser base, I don't necessarily think that there was a huge concentration of advertisers where most of their business was sitting outside of our core markets, so middle America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think broadly, the political climate uh, doesn't make it easier for us. Um, you have a lot of brands who come to us and just say, "We want nothing to do with." conversations about Trump and that's challenging. You know, we're fortunate that we have a lot of breadth. Yeah. So we do, I mean, we, you know, we're not just focusing on politics. We've got a, you know, pretty strong uh, position in arts and culture and technology mm-hmm. and business, but it's challenging. What's your argument though? Like, what is your argument? Cause like we're in Cannes right now. And so it's been four be, days, be relevant. four days of brands talking about purpose and having to have meaningful conversations and um, about having to support quality content and whatnot. And then still, in the name of brand safety, they say, keep me away from this news stuff. Right? I mean, you still run into this, correct? Yeah, I mean, of course, of course. Argument would just be relevant. I mean, no matter what the um, temperature is uh, around the political climate, it's still what people care about right now. And this is a hot button issue. And there are brands who no matter what will avoid it at all costs. But I think there's a lot of major brands that without necessarily going out and trying to create really intricate um, partnerships, sponsorships around our election coverage can still benefit from being around what is arguably the most important story of the next year and a half. And it isn't just about the Mm -hmm. elections. There's going to be a lot of other 
kind of tributaries coming out of that around the future of commerce and technology, um, what we're doing with privacy and data that are all going to come out of election coverage. Yeah. And I think that's again, going back to purpose, uh, purpose backed brands, you know, a lot of these stories are going to be tied to that. And I think, I just don't think you can ignore it as a brand. Right. But a lot of them want to, it is like the Trump the comms teams want to, yeah, is the Trump, is the Trump coverage sort of like the new Baghdad bureau. And by that, I mean like the Baghdad bureau was always, um, was always brought up. I forget how many people the, that the height that the times had in the Baghdad bureau, but it was like the amount of money that it costs, you know, with security and everything to uh, support this operation, you know, it's obviously a money loser. And at the time, the Times was in a different um, uh, financial shape. But it sounds like you're saying the Trump coverage itself is not actually, quote unquote, good for business. I mean, he's claiming that it's well, good for, for the business. ad business. Right, the ad Let's business. Let's be very clear. So, I mean, this is, yeah, and, and this is where we go back to having a subscription for strategy. People want to read about this. They want to know about what's going on. Arguably, there's I can't argue- get enough. I can't <laughs> get enough. I got to admit. I, mean, I read the Mueller report. So exactly, you're, you're that's that's nerdy. Yeah. Um, so people want to read about this, and we have to be leading. So yes, it's not great for the ad business. We're not fielding requests for sponsorships, but <laughs> it's driving our subscription number. And what we do find is that a lot of times people do come in for Trump, and they finish the day with turkey. Okay. Come for the Trump, stay for the food. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, if you think about the times, you know, we're, we're trying to invest in a lot of different areas of reader needs and, you know, cooking is one of them. Crossroads mm-hmm. and games are another, um, but you may start the day with just needing to catch up with what happened in DC and we need to be in all of those places. So which categories of ads are growing fastest? in terms of the advertiser category, like who the advertisers yeah. no, no, are. No, no, you, the, I'm, I'm talking like podcast, video, um, uh, you know, content through the content studio display. And you're going to say all of the above. I'm, I'm really not, gonna, I'm not going to say all of the above. I'm not necessarily going to highlight our losers. I, I will say, uh, audio has been huge for us. Um, you know, we're really, that's a meaningful business. It is a meaningful, meaningful eight figure business. Um, so, and I, th- and I don't think we've come out Podcasts. publicly podcast. It is absolutely a meaningful business to both, to both businesses, by the way. So if you look at the daily, um, we're Why? now, we're now promoting subscriptions. Well, yeah. you, the audience uh, oftentimes isn't the core New York Times subscriber. And they're oftentimes younger. I mean, I always joke that, you know, if I'm in, uh, and this is personal experiences, I'm in Chicago and I'm speaking to a huge media buying agency. Mm-hmm. And most of the people in the audience are, let's call it like 25 to 27. Um, and I ask, hey, who reads the New York Times? I get, you know, four hands out of 100. And then I say, who listens to the daily? And 70 of the 100 people raise their hand. I kind of felt like you guys undermonetized the daily for a while. At least it, it felt like you were not. A lot of other podcasts, let me just say, are more aggressive with how many ads they have. Like yours? And no, we have like a very uh, tasteful and wonderful, engaging ad uh, from that you read that uh, comes before. And in the middle, um, we'll be talking a little bit more about Vivo. Very nice. I want to take a quick break here. If you're like me, you're probably looking for one place where you can watch the latest Taylor Swift music video and you can reminisce with your favorite Aerosmith video. That's why you'll want to go to Vivo. Vivo is the leading provider of premium music videos. Visit vivo.com slash advertising to learn more about how your brand can harness the power of music videos. Now back to the episode. But seriously, it does seem like you guys didn't put, because I'm sure the demand... We were sold out. Well, usually when you're sold out, like the ad people want more. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I've asked for a lot. Um, no, we have, uh, we have three ads in there now. 
um, which is plenty. I think like any New York Times product, we're generally going to be on the lighter side in terms of ads. You know, we want to have a more premium experience. I think it was pretty obvious early on we were never going to be in a world where Michael Barbaro was, you know, reading the Stella Artois ad. Um, so did you go for it? Uh, we never went for it. <laughs> I didn't even propose it. Um, and it's worked. Hear me out, Michael. <laughs> and it's, and it's worked. Um, so I think, you know, audio is so interesting. Um, we are absolutely resisting jumping on the kind of format du jour bandwagon. You know, the future is audio. All newspapers will be entirely audio in the They're future. They're voice now. Or voice or sonic, whatever, um, sound, you know, it is a, it is a powerful tool amongst many others for the times. Um, I think we see a world where we'll have more, but we're not going to become a shows factory competing with Spotify or iTunes just because the economics at the moment are favorable. Right. So what from that experience, um, sort of led into the weekly, I mean, cause now moving into like TV and how does that work with the ads? I mean, are you selling those ads? I would love to sell TV. Well, it's actually, it's on FX and Hulu. Um, and it's, uh, I believe we're on our fourth episode. That'll be live uh, Sunday nights at 10 o'clock on FX. And it goes live on Hulu after that. Um, News Corp Hulu handle all the ad sales. Um, there's definitely a, a kind of halo benefit to us. I kind of think about when mm-hmm. um, Vice had its HBO show. I don't think we spent any time ever talking about Vice's website or all those random right. digital video shows they made. It was all about the HBO show, even though they didn't sell any advertising, obviously. I, I see something similar with the weekly. I mean, it's 80 million net new households. So that's a good thing for us as a brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes you'll hear uh, AG say the daily was the best brand campaign we've ever had. You know, again, it's 8 million new people a month listening to a times product. Same thing with TV. I mean, I think, I think at best, we can convert those people to New York Times subscribers. At worst, we get people passionate about news and journalism. Mm-hmm. But you never, there, there's never that conflict of, you know, what job is this doing? Is 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 this jo- is the job that this product is doing is driving subscriptions, or is the job this product is doing is providing you know audience engagement that we can then monetize through advertising? Well, and it's remember it's still profitable in its own right. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, we don't, we don't handle, um, any of the ad inventory. So all the economics, it's more of a production deal for us. Um, so right there, I don't think it's that big of a gamble. Um, we obviously want it to be a success. Um, I think in terms of tracking, you know, what benefit does it drive for the business broadly? Um, you know, I believe in TV, they follow ratings a lot, so that's going to be really important. Yeah. Um, and then I just think overall, you know, looking at our subscription numbers, you know, we we're always looking at how many new starts we have. And I think this, uh, this next six, nine months should be interesting to see if the, the weekly is having an effect. Right. Um, how about T brand studio? I mean, if this was like four years ago, it'd, it'd be all like, about T brand studio, be all about T brand. Yeah. And now everyone's got their own T brand. Um, yeah. they just call it different variations of it. Um, agency business, it can be attractive from the outside, but it can get pretty tough. Yeah. Everybody, every uh, agency executive always comes up to me when I'm at Cannes and says, why are you trying to get in this business? Yeah. It's really yeah, not yeah, that good. You can have In it. fact, they, one of them said to me this week, uh, would you like to sell me your newspaper? Because I'd like that. Yeah. Um, so look, I think the publisher studio model is really fraught. Um, why is it fraught? Uh, I think the, the idea of doing high cost, low scale work broadly is just a challenging business to scale. Yeah. You've got... Um, 
you know, the, the digital ad industry broadly pushing publishers into areas that they're not necessarily well suited to meet the demand, like pre-roll inventory, just mass scaled brand safe viewable ads. These are not things that publishers are, or at least subscription first or consumer first publishers are meant to do. Um, and I think to, in order to kind of protect that business, publishers have kind of gone in the entire other direction, which is more creative, more service that's bundled with media as yeah. a way to protect the ad, the ad sales. Um, the challenge with that is you're now still selling kind of the same amount of budgets, but you're adding in all these really expensive elements. Yeah. And it's not just challenging economically. It's also from a, for a benefit and for they're the variable. They're, they can be variable costs, right? Very, a lot of variable costs. It's just a challenging business model. But then in terms of the return for the, advertiser you know you're you're doing high-end creative work but you're eliminating you're limiting who sees it to the size of the audience of x publisher and that's just that doesn't it, it, the opportunity for success is a lot lower than if you're an ad agency mm-hmm. and you can run your work anywhere and it, because it can scale and yeah. I think that inherently is a challenge. And so that's and why agencies also go up and down in, in headcount. I mean, nobody talks about that, but like the agencies are constantly that's a whole hi- nother podcast hiring, just to talk about the future of talent. Well, I mean, they're always hiring and firing and I, you know, I talked with a publisher, um, and you know, he was like, you know, we're not, we don't have that muscle. We don't like, you know, all of a sudden just like lose an account and like fire 40 people or then, Oh, we win an account. We got to hire 40 people. That's just not what, that's not what publishers do. Right. So, so I just think all of this. So what's the role that the T brand studios. So T brand studio is more become kind of the core thing that we sell. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a paid post or a piece of branded content. It's just saying that we need to have both a creative and strategic center of excellence inside the times ad department. Mm-hmm. And that may translate to newsroom sponsorships or to, you know, a video, video series that we'll create on YouTube or a piece of branded content on the times site. But we need to be able to meet and we need to be able to offer more strategic solutions to clients. And it, it doesn't necessarily need to be native advertising at the end of that. I don't know where this will end up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we will become more like an agency or if we'll just sell more strategically positioned media programs. All I do know is that the only way we can grow our business is to be more creative and be more strategic. So we need this talent in house. Mm-hmm. And I also firmly believe that the only way that publisher driven creative businesses can survive is if we can start to get scale outside of our platforms. Cause ultimately we're not set up for success. If mm-hmm. all of the kind of agency alternatives, um, outside the times can do that. And we can't. So it sounds like the model is it's, it's very different from like what vice does with virtue. Like, I mean, they want virtue to, you know, they compete, they collaborate, but they compete with agencies. Yep. I mean, sometimes they're, sometimes they don't even run the stuff they create. I mean, like sometimes Vice isn't even distributed. It's just like a creative agency. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think we need, you know, right now, if you look at the shape of our business, you've got, we have some retainer contracts with brands. We have work that we're doing that has nothing to do with the times. We have a lot of branded content programs running right now. Um, That adds up to a growing ad business. I can't call right now where the shape of that business is going to change over the next couple of years. Um, I do believe we need to begin to do more work off the New York times to drive more success for clients. So we're building those capabilities. We're bringing that talent in house, but I can't call it the end, you know, the end business model that we have looks right. like a WPP of today. Yeah. Um, it could be something entirely different. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, to touch on was around privacy. Cause I mean, on the editorial side and yeah. there, there is a church and state. I know on the editorial side, you guys are focusing in on a lot of these issues, right? 
We are. So yeah. yeah. And so if and you, the platforms then say, well, you're doing this because you know, we're out competing in the market. And so you're just sort of trying to spotlight this kind of, these kind of issues. But I'm wondering what you think that it seems like we're moving into this greater privacy era for better, or for worse, there's upsides and downsides to it. Is this going to be a net benefit for the New York times ad business? I can't call that right now. Oh, come on. I can't. I literally can't call that right now. I mean, I, it's, it's, you know, we are, and as background, so we have the um, privacy project team here with us, or part of them uh, here with us in camp. So we're taking... Tell them uh, to stay away from the ad tech harbor. Uh, they are they, all... They might, they might we, are, we are actively going... <laughs> we are actively, actively programming those spaces. Um, I think this is such an interesting story. One, just for culture broadly, but definitely for the ad industry. Um, and then in terms of how it relates to our products, it, you know, we are going against the grain of the industry. And so I can't call right now if that's going to be a complete mm-hmm. um, win for us or if it's going to be a major challenge. Um, all I know... It should be a long-term win, right? I mean, because the only way you have relevance then is to go back to context. And like the best, like, you know, the easiest signal for context is like just literal content and brand. Like, yeah. I, I, I think... It, you don't need a ton of big data for that, do you? I, you don't. You don't. And I think, so we're spending a ton of time right now. Our head of ad innovation is here. Um, Alison Murphy, we're spending a ton of time just talking about, um, alternatives to hyper-targeted, um, hyper-targeted ads that are based on personal information and creepy targeting. Um, are you using wire cutter at all in ad targeting? We're not. Why not? This sounds like a good idea. Uh, it, it always does. But then (laughs) when we actually dig into it, there's just, you can do that on Amazon. You know, you know, the Amazon has a very good alternative to targeting fairly, fairly scaled, Yeah, fairly scaled, fairly sophisticated. I think it doesn't matter like in any, any type of audience targeting, you will just eventually end with a conclusion that we don't have the scale for it. Um, there's just better alternatives if you mm-hmm. want to target individual people and their interests on the big platforms and why try to take share when we're not really mm-hmm. set up to compete. So how does that change? Like, I don't know the, the, the strategy, because I mean, it sounds, you know, before it was when the New York times was really, um, sort of ad supported, I hate ad driven, but like ad supported, um, it was like, we're going to build a giant ad business. And yeah. you know, for the last couple of years, and I think Meredith was on the podcast and we like, we'll, we'll never have a scaled ad business. Um, you know, it's always going to be, um, you know, I don't want to say it's going to be a lot smaller than like the Googles and Facebooks totally. out there. I, how, how does that change and the ad business broadly? I think, no, I mean, no, no. What, 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 what you do, because like, it's, it's, it's not going to be the giant business. It, it's, it's going to grow. It's, you've got to basically stem the decline of print and grow digital faster. Yeah. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it's about adding lots of new revenue streams um, that could be agency-like services, mm-hmm. more sponsorships, better targeting. Um, and it just How all, about international markets? I mean, is the biggest... International too. Is the biggest opportunity there subs or ads or both? It sounds like both. It's, it's kind of both right now. Again, hard to call because both businesses are growing pretty substantially. Um, I think... I think if you look at the shape of our ad business, and I'm sure this is similar at most other publishing companies, you go from a pretty broad ad base, 5,000 plus advertisers to concentration and probably your top hundred clients, you know, you're getting much less of the help wanted ads and the liquor stores up the street. And you're getting a lot more from the big brands, like the big tech brands, um, who will come to you and say, Hey, we want to work with, uh, work bigger with fewer. 
And it tends to, we tend to play really well in that space because of how much we've invested in our brand over the last few years. And then in terms of how we service those clients, it's going to be a wide base of services, media products, creative services, et cetera. Okay. Is less going to programmatic? It's a, not a growing business um, because again, there's a lot of, cha- I think there's a lot of friction with the subscription business. If you look at programmatic, there's um, again, just the broad like user experience. Programmatic just does not, open market programmatic advertising does yeah. not lend itself well to a premium experience, period. I don't want to hear anybody who argues with that. Uh, been down to the harbor. Oh God. Um, so I think it, it is such an undifferentiated unmonitored experience that uh, any publisher that's going to be looking to invest in a subscription first approach will find that business challenging. So I think, yes, we still have it. Um, it plays a role in the business, but it's not part of our growth strategy. Okay. Sebastian, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us this week. A quick thank you to Aditi Songal. She is our producer and this is her last podcast that she'll be producing for us. Um, we wish Aditi well. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you.